This podcast is brought to you by Benjamin, a workflow automation engine that allows advisors to focus on their clients rather than data management. Learn more at getbenjamin.com. You want to have enough money that you're not always worried about money, but more importantly, you want to have enough time that you're not always worried about not having enough time. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reimer. Brian Carney, River's Edge Advisors. How are you, my friend? Welcome to Bridging the Gap. Hey, Matt. How are you? Thanks for having me on. I'm great, man. I, I'm really excited. I always love, I mean, that's part of the reason of Bridging the Gap is just to bring on, you know, people from the industry, whether technology, marketing, consulting, but I love talking to other advisors. I mean, that's where that's where everything started for me was on the uh, across the desk and being an advisor. So I love talking to business owners and, and advisors. So I'm stoked. And you're up in, in Delaware. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I loved I know I want to know, I mean, born and raised in Delaware. Tell me about that. Yeah. So I've, I've lived here my whole life. It's not very exciting. The anytime I tell someone I'm from Delaware, they always go, oh, yeah, I drove through there once. And that's pretty <laughs> accurate. We're about 30 minutes from Philadelphia, about two hours from New York and two hours from D.C. and an hour from Baltimore. So we're like close to stuff. But I guess right now the the big excitement, the big hubbub in Delaware is that the president comes here every weekend because he's he lives literally three miles from me. So he's he's here all the time. Oh, um, that's cool. It's, yeah, it's inter- it's certainly interesting. I mean, to see how many I never realized how many cars are actually in a presidential motorcade until I saw it myself. I was like, oh, wow, I guess that makes sense. So he comes every weekend. He's there almost every weekend. Um, and wow. Yeah, they call it the Joe Jam now. It has a name uh, for the traffic that comes when he when he you know lands. I mean, is the White House, is it just too small for him? Or is it like, you know, is, is the bed not comfortable enough? I no. mean, that he's making that travel. Like, you would think that it's the best of everything in the White House. Why would you ever want to leave? Why would exactly. you, you only get four years there, maybe eight, but four usually. Yeah. I, mean, what, I mean, why would you ever want to leave? I'm sure it's way nicer than his house in Delaware. So, but, you know. Yeah. Hey, to over. each their own, to each their exactly. own. And, and you know, y'all, y'all almost had it. You almost had all the news stations there because of Musk and, and Tesla or Musk and, and Twitter. And y'all yeah. have amazing business laws. I mean, I think every company in the world is a Delaware incorporated company. So that's got to be exciting for Delaware. Delaware's got something going for it. I think you're a little bit hard on the state. Maybe I am. Maybe maybe I'm just a, uh, I'm too hardened by being here for, for my whole life. That could yeah. be. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you're only 21. So it's only been 21 that's years, right? right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, right. I'm I'm stoked. River's Edge. Uh, as we were talking, I, I've known I've met a few people from your firm. I've I've always uh, respected what y'all have done. I'm I'm excited to learn how y'all have grown it. Uh, we're going to talk about how to grow a firm, some of the trials and tribulations that go with just building a a, a business in general. Uh, yeah. We'll talk about some of the operation side and and also talking about having getting younger people to fit into the firm. I'm excited to dive into that. But For before sure. we do. We know a little bit about you. We know you're from Delaware. We know that that, that President Biden makes his visits there every weekend. But I always like to ask, you know, your journey to get to where you are, to being a co-founder at River's Edge, to getting into this industry. And I always like to ask about the journey. But the first question I ask in that that process is, you're the 13-year-old Brian Carney. Like, is yeah. this what he wanted to do is own a wealth management firm? What did the 13-year-old Brian Carney want? And then tell us your journey from then to here where you are today. Yeah, I definitely didn't have the traditional path into this career. I, when I, if I was 13, I definitely would have wanted to say that I was either going to play professional baseball or professional football. So once I, w- I went to college, because the one thing I knew about going to college is that I wanted to be a physical therapist. 
And wow. I, I'm a huge NFL fan, so I'm a huge Eagles fan. Like I said, Philadelphia is really close. I thought that I was going to be a physical therapist for professional sports teams. And then I did an internship between my junior and senior year in college and realized that basically all you do is work on 75-year-olds or 80-year-olds that have had double knee replacements. And it's not nearly as glamorous as I thought. And I said, crap, what am I going to do now? So I had uh, two job offers in front of me. One was to be a financial advisor for an insurance-based broker-dealer. And the other one was to sell copy machines. And I went, I did a ride along with the guy that sold copy machines and he did cold knocking, you know, like literally would go to an office complex and knock on every door. And I said, holy crap, there's no way I can do this. And the recruiter from the financial planning firm told me that this is going to be the hardest job that I've ever done. And I said, no way that's true. And that's why I took the job. I did when I literally when I signed my contract to be a financial advisor, I didn't know what the S&P 500 was. I didn't know how the stock market worked. I didn't know what a mutual fund was. I knew none of that. And they said, don't worry, we can teach you all that. And they did. That's incredible. That's incredible. I mean, and, and look, you just you have foresight, right? You knew that copy machines were it's going to be a little bit tougher of a sell as as the Internet kind of bloomed or expanded. And so, I yeah. do. <laughs> yeah, you just had foresight. Well, so so you get in. I, I love, and I always love this question because it's just like everybody's journey to where we are is so different, right? Like some yeah. people came from the engineer background, some people came from wanting to be a physical therapist, right? I grew up in the industry; it's all different, but we're all yeah. at the same point, helping families, and I think it's incredible, you know. And, and so you you get that job, you start out in the industry. Walk me through that. I mean, you're learning. You're like drinking from a fire hose. I can imagine yeah. figuring it all out. But then like what led, how'd you, how'd you get, what was your path to then get to own? I mean, you're a co-founder of River's Edge. I mean, that's a, yeah. that's a huge deal. So I started on the insurance side and, you know, as, as a 21 year old, you hear that you're a financial advisor and you either are going into like a wirehouse or you're going in on the insurance side. So the one thing that the insurance side does a great job of is they teach you how to set appointments, meet people and, you know, talk to them and get referrals. You know, that was sort of pounded into my head. I had an, a manager that I absolutely loved. I'm actually, you know, still friendly with him today, but he kind of taught me everything about setting appointments. And then at, while I was learning, I was learning the technical side of it, you know, how to do planning, how to make recommendations and that sort of thing. But what happened was, is that because I, they told me that I needed to sell like a hundred life insurance cases a year. And then I did it for like four years in a row. I'm like, this is awesome. I'm doing great. I'm winning awards. I'm going on trips. And then I was like, oh, no, I have to service all this. And it was at the time, it was just me. I was doing the financial plans. I was placing the trades for accounts. I was setting up auto debits. I was doing paperwork. I was doing underwriting for life insurance. I was like, all right, this isn't for me. So I, I, I left. Unfortunately, I got sued when I left. And that is a anytime someone says it's just business, it's not personal get sued because it's super personal, right? And I got sued by what I would consider my friends. And I saw a ton of people leave and I left and I was and I was the first one they sued. And, it, you know, I'm 28 years old trying to, to, to go to another place. So I went to another firm. It was also really insurance heavy. But while I was there, I had a, a mentor. He was He's now in his 70s. And he built this firm that had an RIA and it had an insurance side and an RIA side. And uh, as I started to get to understand it a little bit more, I realized he worked five months out of the year because he had, you know, 200 and some odd million dollars under management. And I said, 
you're missing financial planning. You're doing investment management and you're doing a lot of insurance. I think the insurance part, I don't really think is the direction I want to go in. I want to really revamp and do a lot of financial planning to couple with your investment management. He said, no one wants financial planning. We're not financial planners. We don't do that here. And I said, okay, well, I have to leave. So um, Mm. I actually told him that people would pay for planning and I got someone, I bought e-money myself and I got someone to pay a $3,000 planning fee. And I said, see, I told you people want this. They want answers to questions. They want to see projections of when they can retire and they want, you know, real planning and strategies around planning. And he said, nah, it's not, that's no good. So I ended up joining up with a couple of guys who I'd worked with at the first firm. They had started their own independent financial planning firm. And that went through a bunch of different iterations until we had the choice between becoming one ginormous RIA with five partners and an insanely complicated employer employment agreement. We were all working in separate teams. So we decided just to become three separate IRA, RIAs. And that's how I ended up being, you know, co-founding Rivers Edge. That's incredible. I mean, that is, uh, what year was that when the former, the former boss said that no one wanted financial planning? It was two, so I left there in 14. It was probably 2012. 2012. And you said you still stay in touch with him? uh, You said he's a mentor of yours? Have you asked him about that decision uh, lately? Well, the one thing that I said, I'm super competitive. I played sports my whole life, right? So I said to him, I want to build what you did. I just want to do it like 10 or 15 years faster than you did. And, you know, I, I had lunch with him recently. We, we, we had sort of a little falling out, which is a story for a different day. But I did have lunch with him a couple of years ago and sort of said, like, hey, I'm on the path to doing this. And I, you know, we I recently River's Edge far surpassed their assets under management. So I gave myself a little pat on the back for that. Good for you. Well, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm super competitive. We actually keep a spreadsheet of, you know, our growth next to other firms in our area to see how we're tracking. So it's a just kind of an interesting thing being a, a, someone that's uber competitive. I love that. I mean, again, it, it, I think the theme that I'm starting to gather from this this podcast is foresight and your ability to see ahead of the curve because you saw it with financial planning. You saw it by, by not taking the copier job, which has worked out well for you. Um, for sure. And so I'm just wondering what you're seeing in the future, but we'll get to that in, in a little bit. But yeah. um, I, I, you know, you you started insurance. You came over to the RIA world. You 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 started financial planning a little bit earlier than a lot of the industry did. I mean, I think that you know you think about Michael Kitsies and XY. They were pretty early in the financial plan. He's been a big proponent of it. But you know, you were going against the grain a little bit. And so uh, I'm curious as, as to some of the the challenges you have faced building River's Edge. Right? I mean, showing helping with the the financial planning, but. Yeah, you know, y'all have grown pretty rapidly, and I'm curious as the challenges because we have a lot of advisors that are start thinking of starting their own firm, etc. What are maybe the top three that you've you've looked at and were like, gosh, those were really tough, but we got over them. So I think really defining our process was a real challenge, and we went through multiple iterations of that. And you know, you, you mentioned being sort of ahead of the financial planning curve. You know, I had my business partner Jared Morris. He was already doing planning. And I did, I knew I needed to do planning. I just didn't know how to run the process, right? I am, and this, this will lead it to, the, to, to a different conversation, but I don't actually like doing the technical side of this job. I don't like putting together plans. 
I don't like doing due diligence and research. I like talking to people about why money makes them feel a certain way and talking big picture about you know, their goals and why they want to retire at 65, what they want to do and why it makes them nervous that the market's going down. So building a process that you can streamline to make it repeatable, I think was the very first thing that we figured out. And again, it took a, we're still refining it and trying to create a better client experience. Jared is a, he is an e-money nerd. You know, he's like the type of guy that emails e-money and says, hey, this is broken in your software. You guys need to fix it. And they go, hold on, we'll get back to you. Like, oh yeah, you're right. We fixed it. You know, that's how in-depth he knows e-money and he knows planning. The second thing is what really led me to, to pair up with him is I came from a world where I was doing everything and going to find the client. I was doing business development. I was doing the building, the, doing the analysis, building the plan, making the recommendations, and then executing all the, and implementing all the recommendations. And I said, I like to do, I really enjoy doing like the beginning part. You know, that's kind of the only part. And then the keeping the relationship throughout, you know, I like going to find new people. I like having a relationship with them. I like helping them solve their problems, but I don't like to create the strategies that they need to implement to do that. And Jared's like, that's great. Cause I hate all the stuff that you do. And I love all the stuff that you hate. So we have this good, really great relationship where I get to focus on the things that I really like the best. And he gets to focus on the things he likes the best. And it happens to be that those are both of our strengths. So being able to play to your strengths constantly, you know, if I can do a financial plan. I could sit down and build a e-money scenario pretty well, not nearly as, as well as Jared, but it will take me, I'm not exaggerating, six hours to do it. He can do it in 45 minutes. And I, I think that is, you know, being able to, to work in our strengths, each of us. And I think the third thing is hiring the at the right time with the right people. And that is one thing that I see all business owners mess up. And it, it is not just unique to the financial services industry. When you're, when you're starting out at a business, you're like, okay, I got this cash flow issue. I'm kind of on a cash crunch. I know I need more people, but it's difficult to say I'm going to pay someone X amount of dollars because that all you, you have to get over the fact of seeing them as an expense as, a, as opposed to if I pay them this, it's going to free me up to do this role that's going to bring the firm more revenue. So being able to, to, to find the right people at the right time ha- has really been helpful in, in, in our success. Trust there, me, we screwed it up a lot. We all have, right? I mean, right. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of stories that I, I am waiting to write in, my, in one of my next books is all about the lessons learned there. I mean, it's, it, it, there's so much gold in, in what you were talking about, defining the processes, playing to your strengths, hiring at the right time and the right people. And, and I want to dive into a lot of these on this side. But before I do, you know, you mentioned, you know, kind of staying in your zone, which is going and talking to people, asking about like really understanding what they value, understanding what they, what makes them tick. It's like the behavioral side of things, right? It's the psychological side of things. What led you to to liking that? Just, I mean, that's biz dev, but what have you found the impact that that has on the relationship by going that deep as opposed to just going straight to the e-money plan? Yeah. So when I got, when I paired up with Jared, our, our e-money output was like 75 pages. And I kept saying, dude, no one cares. Like that's too much. 
you, we need to keep this super high level. And then if you deal with an engineer or a super analytical type, be prepared to go into the weeds, but keep it high level so people understand. So I always say that our process allows us to, to have two different brains looking at a client's situation. You have someone that's going to be doing the math. There's going to be someone that's going to give you the math answer, or the right answer from a math perspective. Even though I can, we might have a client say, I want to buy a beach house because I dream about having 4th of July every year with my kids running around on the beach. Okay, great. We could come up with and say, this is not the right math answer. And they say, I'm still going to do this and we have to understand. So it's part art, part science. And to be able to really have uh, someone that's focusing on the behavioral aspect of it, money makes, it's a very emotional thing. It's, a ta it's taboo to talk about. And we want to make sure that we are understanding what leads a client to make decisions. I'm not motivated by charts and graphs to make a decision. I'm like a gut guy. So I want to make decisions that make me feel the right way. And then I want to know that that's the right math answer. You know, the, that's going to have the right impact from, from a technical perspective. You know, I've talked to Daniel Crosby a few times and, you know, he, yeah. he mentions about the idea of, you know, set your values, then set your goals, then drive your behaviors is kind of his, his right, you know, thoughts from his book, Laws of Wealth. I think it's really interesting. I, and I want to turn this on you and, you know, as a client, like, what is your values? Like, what is your driver of why, what does money help you do? What are you trying to use money to help you reach in your, in your life? Yeah. So I've kind of been thinking about this. I listened to the kids, this podcast, I was actually on it back in May and he always asks Great. everyone, what's your definition of success? And it took, I, I've listened to this show for like five years and it, I never could actually summarize it until the week before I was supposed to be on it. So the way that I sort of view it in, for me, and I think for a lot of our clients, which is more important to help them achieve this, you want to have enough money that you're not always worried about money, but more importantly, you want to have enough time that you're not always worried about not having enough time. So the way I kind of view it, it's like a combination of you want to have enough money to create time freedom, but it's really the time freedom you're after, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and I think a lot of times people have this random number in their head that I need to make X amount of dollars, a million dollars. You know, I, I had this theory when I was like 25 in this business. I was like, I want to make a million dollars. I want to make this. And then you get to a certain point and you go, eh, I don't really want to push that hard and miss my kids' games. And I coach all my kids' sports. You know, I love the ability that... This career has allowed it allowed me the flexibility to be at home at 5:30 to take my son to football practice and help coach the team. So, I think that combination of money freedom and time freedom, just having enough money that you free up enough time, I think is really an important part about most of our clients that we deal with. You know, I, I think that that's. A, I mean, freedom is like the biggest driver of what keeps people going, right? It, is freedom, freedom of time, freedom, be able to do what they want, when they want, how they want, and happiness, right? Freedom and happiness are like the two main value drivers. Uh, you know, these conversations, I have these conversations a lot with advisors and and, and you know, behavioral psychologists, and I I'm comfortable with, and I even have them with my clients. But a lot of advisors aren't because they're difficult conversations, right? It's easier just to have a conversation about the money side of it or the, sure. the analytical side of it. And, you know, sometimes I view it as like clients don't want to feel like they're going into a therapy session. But in theory, they need to because money is so mental and emotional and driven by the non-analytical side of it. Yeah. How have you helped, you know, create that environment 
for clients to feel comfortable being vulnerable beyond just returns and performance? I think um, the thing that's been really helpful is I tell them up front that we're going to talk about why money makes you feel a certain way, you know, and that's going to weigh into our decision. And I always tell them that we could give you the best possible answer. This is the best strategy technically. And you just say, that doesn't feel right for me. And people aren't going to implement strategies that they're not completely comfortable with or that they don't understand. So it is a huge part of making that decision. So we want to have an open dialogue with them, you know, and uh, we want them to feel relaxed enough in our environment to talk about, to have these sort of heavy conversations and why that, why they want to make that, that decision. A lot of times it's, you have to talk about the emotions to help someone make, not make the wrong decision. You know, we, okay. So the market's going crazy right now, as we all know, well, I'm sure every advisor is getting a call right now saying I'm freaking out a little bit. My account's down 20%. I want to liquidate my portfolio and just go to cash. Well, you have to be ready to go. Okay. Well, tell me why, like what, what's your thinking behind that? Well, I'm afraid I'm going to run out of money. Okay. Well, if, as long as you can point a lot of their questions back to financial planning and their goals, I think it helps them make better emotional decisions. Yeah. I mean, it's even back to their values, right? Like this isn't who you are, right? This is a, this is a, and help them see it and come to it themselves by asking good questions. Mm -hmm. I love the idea though of, Hey, this is your expectation. When you want to come and work with us, we're going to go through this, whether you like it or not, we're going to get deep into, and, and then they can elect to be in or elect to be out. And once they elect to be in, yeah, then they've made that they've raised their hand on that. And so exactly. that makes it a lot easier for them to go through with that. Now, one of the other things that you talked about was business development and, you know, your, your focus on that. One of the biggest thing, you know, questions I get from advisors is I need help growing. I need help growing yeah. right now. The big theme is inorganic growth by just a consolidation of firms. Yeah. How have you, what have you found to be successful on the business development side, you know, beyond just traditional referrals? Have you found other avenues and, and what have you seen work? Maybe what have you seen not work to help the advisor community grow? Yeah. So the firm that I was at before this, when I had that mentor, he really talked about the importance of advisor marketing or COIs. So the, I worked with him for five years and I went out and I met 285 accountants, attorneys and, you know, other, you know, sort of COIs. Now, as you well know, that can be not the most exciting group to talk of to, right? <laughs> so what I really found is that I just tried to continue to connect with people that I liked and that I, I always said they had to pass the two-hour car ride test. Could I be trapped with this person for two hours and you know not be like, oh my God, I'm, I want to open the door and jump out? And candidly, there are people that are like that where they just, you can't connect on that level with them. You know, it's not them or you, it's just, you're just not a good connection. So I've really spent a lot of time in that space talking about and building relationships and not asking them for business. I think a lot of people in our space meet with them one time like, okay, so who do you know that does this? It's sort of like, I give them and I try to educate them on how our firm is different. And I use case studies to do it. Hey, or stories. Hey, we recently worked on a case that did this, this, and this, this is this guy owned a business. And these are the, these are the strategies that we implemented for them. They actually are more interested in hearing. They, a lot of COIs think all we want to do is talk about investments or these cool products that we have. 
I try to get them to focus on how the strategies that we implement. So one of the things that I started to do is once I started to get a referral from an accounting firm, I would have a lunch, bring the accountant that referred me and some of their associates or their partners and walk through what we did for this client so they could see it in real life. You can tell them and they could, some of them will understand it. But once you start showing them, here are the recommendations we made. Here's what that meant. This is what that, how that impacted their ability to retire. This is what that did to their taxes. This is what we communicated with the, with, with your team about how we're going to implement, how we're going to affect the information that's on their tax return. So really trying to show them planning strategies for actual clients, I think started to, to, to really, really help. I mean that that if there's nothing to take away from that podcast this podcast which I think there's a lot already is that right because I think so many people have this issue with COIs especially accountants not referring business and it's because yeah. you're just asking for business you're not showing and helping them understand why they need to refer business they get it but it's kind of like we all know the rules of the game but it doesn't mean we always play by them That's uh, right. which is another behavioral psychology thing that Daniel Crosby has has taught me as well is that you know we got to we got to show them and, and help them see it even though they know what to do and you know flipping the script a little bit because on this is that you know Business that because I have two more topics I want to dive into. Business development is your key focus, but you know, operationally, you may not be operationally minded, but you know that you need the operational infrastructure to be yeah. successful. And so I think that there's like some people are like, well, I'm just gonna go do biz dev or I'm just gonna create processes. But you know, you need to have that blend, which it seems like you and Jarrett do. But how what have you learned or how can we all get better from as an industry, maybe just from lessons from your firm, from the operational side to ensure that your work on the BizNev is working well and effectively inside of the processes of the team going forward to serve the clients? Yes, yeah, so I'd answer this a couple of ways. First of all, you have to have the right people on board. At one point a few years ago, we had to stop the business development machine because we weren't as efficient in the back office as possible. Right. We had people that were a little overwhelmed and probably dealing with things that were a little over their head. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that, you know, getting the right people in place is such a huge part of making sure you're operationally sound. That being said, there's two sides to operations as far as I'm concerned. There's what I deal with is this is what I want the client experience to look like. This is what I think it should feel like for a client. And, you know, getting feedback from clients and, you know, making sure that that is the, the direction that we headed. I think it should be look like this. But I talked to Jared about that and, I, and he'll say, OK, well, this is how we have to build that behind the scenes so the client doesn't see it. I don't know anything about that. You know, I don't really know how that happens, but I just know that he handles it and makes sure that 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 he's really running that part of it. But a lot of times he'll say, okay, we need to change our process behind the scenes to look like this. And I go, okay, well, this is how that's going to affect the final product and the client experience. And then we have a discussion about how to make those, those two things mesh. So I think you need to have, you, you really need to be looking at it from two different lenses. You need to be looking at it. What's going to happen to your team internally? And then how is that going to affect the client experience? I, I will be such an advocate for making our clients' lives easier and simpler. When in doubt, we want to make it everything easier so, uh, and make it simpler. So I really try to pound my, my hand on the desk and say, this is too complicated. It needs to be easier. It needs to be simpler. We don't need a 75-page financial plan. We need 
it all to be electronic, look at it on a screen and dive into deeper things if we need to, for example. Yeah. It's a, it's like, it's a matter of, it's the front versus the back, right? It's what the client sees, what the team sees. And it's a matter of saying, I want the client to see as minimal as possible. And which means that sometimes the back office may have to do a little bit more, but then you can figure out how to streamline that. And I think that, you know, there's a, this concept of like the back office may feel like it's burdensome because they're doing so much, but it's always just like, what does it feel like to the end client? Because they may only see a part of it, which is good. And then you can figure out and solve. I, I love that mentality of it. And you, you've been talking about people, right people, yeah. right seat, getting the right people at the right time. You're yeah. talking a lot about that. I, I'm curious of what maybe one or two lessons you've learned through the hiring process that's made you better at identifying the right people and also getting them in the right seat to be able to scale them to do more, right? Like how, what have you learned in that process? Because any business owners had some, you know, tough times with that, I know. Yeah. So the first thing I'll say is you're better off hiring six months too early than you are hiring two months too late. Because a lot of times it's like, hey, your team is drowning in work. They're overwhelmed and you go, oh, hey, here's the new person. Now you have to help train them. And they're like, Where am I, when am I going to find the time for that? So giving yourself enough runway to get a new person onboarded and train them well with, in the right processes with the right people, I think is huge. The other big mistake we made is we went through a period where we hired friends of friends and we're like, ah, oh, we can train them. We like this person. They're cool. They're great. We like to have drinks with them. And then they got to work and we're like, ah, oh, it's not exactly what you want. We wanted, but we'll deal with it, you know? Mm-hmm. And we learned the hard way that the people got, that got us to, you know, $150 million under management were not going to be the same people that got us to the next step. And that is a real painful process. So, you know, that old adage of hire slow and fire fast is really, really important. You really got to make sure that if you start working around people, that's never a good sign. You know, that that's one of the things you need, you need to make sure. We, we worked with a consultant and she once said, your team has been hasn't been up to snuff for so long that when you start dealing with the right people, you're going to be like, how in the world did we ever go this long? And she was a thousand percent right on that. You know, mm-hmm. we hired a, a director of financial planning, Mike Levy, who's a, he, he basically runs our planning team with Jared and he has made our lives so much better by being able just to be really do be, do sophisticated planning and help train our client service associates on our process. So he's been a, a you know, a godsend. That's amazing. You know, when you when you bring someone in, I always like to ask because being a culture guy, when you bring someone into your firm, what is it that you hope that they view as your culture? What is the culture of River's Edge? What is kind of the 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 north star that y'all have and that you're driving for day in and day out? What's your why? I guess would be a good question. Yeah, we we want to have a family feel, and we want our clients to feel when they're here. We want them to feel like we're family to them. We want to take care of our client's family, you know, cause our work is significant enough. I know it sounds obnoxious to say, and you know, some people might you know, say I'm going overboard here, but we are literally changing the trajectory of people's lives here. And that's going to affect their families in one, one way or another. Right. And then we want our team to have like a family type of, uh, of field. So, you know, we try to do fun, you know, culture building things. Like we have a, we had an Olympics this summer at my house in the backyard. We played 
cornhole and you know we played um yeah uh, we played water pong because we had kids playing uh you know we had we wanted to be we want their our, our families to be together and get to know each other so i think that that's really been been an important part you also need you, you really need someone to be a cheerleader for both the team but also the the management and we we hired um we had a 401k person who uh moved into an operations role Aaron Eliason, and she's been really helpful in us in keeping the the culture. And even when things are not the best, she's you know kind of rallying the troops and getting them. So she's been a, a huge asset to us as well. Because you know, candidly, people feel you know if you're if you're if they're quote unquote bosses, you know, riding them all the time about like, hey, you didn't do this right, you didn't do this right. They start it, it becomes you know sort of like a. a an adversarial relationship to have an intermediary between you and the people that you deal with all the time can be super helpful. And she's done yeah, great. It, with that. it gives you another outlet, right? And, and sometimes people don't respond well to their, to the bosses or the owners. There's just a, it, as much as we want to bring that, there's just this aura that makes it hard to do that. And I, I love having that intermediary, whether you're using like traction and EOS and having an implementer or an integrator yeah. do it or whatever it may be. It is really helpful. You know, I, before I get to my last two questions, I want to end with this one. You know, you, you talk about you know a lot of the foresight you have with financial planning. You you talked about you've been building this firm. You're doing it in a unique way. I love what y'all are doing and your culture that y'all have. What do you see as the opportunity for this industry over the next five or ten years? Where do you see this this industry going and the opportunity both for for those that work in the industry and those that are served by this industry in the future? Yeah, I think for, from a client perspective, I think you're going to see firms that have specialized teams that fit what you look like. And what I mean by that is like, for example, we have a young professionals team. We have an executive team where if you have stock options or RSUs or those sort of things, you, you have someone that's an expert. We have a business planning team. So if you own a business, you know, you have someone that deals with your situation all the time. And I think that being able to have a specialized team within a firm is a huge advantage for the client. You know, I know, I know if you obviously, you know, you, we mentioned Kitsis already, but you hear uh, it being a, a niche firm and, you know, they talk about guys that are the one guy who is a uh, financial planner for nothing but optometrist. I think that is great in theory, but I think it's really difficult in execution because if you do a good job for people, you're going to get referrals that look a little bit different. So you just have to be prepared to really focus on their specialty. Mm, the yeah. second thing I think from firm uh, from a firm perspective is no one cares about investments. No one wants to talk about secret sauce. And I always tell clients if you talk to someone and they have a, they claim they have a secret sauce in their investment strategy, you, sh you you better run, right? And I think everything comes down to planning. Investments are a conduit to achieve goals. But none of that matters until you, you go back to the plan. I always say to a client, why are you benchmarking your IRA against the S&P 500? That has nothing to do with anything. It's totally arbitrary. You should be benchmarking it back to your financial plan. Well, we needed 7.5% for you to be able to retire at 65. This is what the downturn in the market means. Maybe you can't live at, you can't retire at 65 anymore. Now you have to retire at 63. So I think those are really where that that where, where things are headed is pr from a business perspective. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that it, the more the industry can get over this idea about 
investments that we we've solved the investments problem. We need to, there, there's some other, there, we gotta, we gotta get to the behaviors and the values and the deeper meanings to the investors. I love that. Yeah. Well, Brian, before I let you go, I got to ask my two questions. I asked all my guests. I mean, this has been extremely insightful. I've loved having this conversation with you. I think we could talk for hours. Uh, <laughs> I know that Kitsy's had some of his podcasts go for multiple hours, but I, I, I don't, I don't know if I I'm as intriguing or interesting as, as Michael. So uh, I, I, I keep, Sorry, I keep my, <laughs> I keep mine a, a little bit shorter, but the two questions I always ask the reasons, one, one of the main reasons we do this podcast is to learn as a group, as a community, but also for me selfishly to learn from people that are smarter than I am. And I also love to learn by reading books. And I always like to ask people that are you know, smarter than me, what's one or two books out there that you think everybody should read? Okay. I'll give you the, the one business book and then I'll give you a non-business book. So I, I recently read that book, Essentialism, and it's called the Essentialism, The Discipline Pursuit of Less, and it's by Greg McCallum. And it really talks about instead of trying so hard to fix your weaknesses, find out what you're really good at, what's essential to your role, and be incredible at that. You know, it's sort of like mm. try to, it, it's one of those... If it's not a hell yes, it's a definite no. It's that sort of a, a situation, and I, I thought that book was outstanding. Love um, that. That's on my that's on my bookshelf at my house. So it's uh, and you're like the fifth person to tell me that recently. So I gotta <laughs> read it now. Might be time to read it. Yeah. Uh, the second one I just read recently was, uh, and this is just a, a super interesting book. Is Dave Grohl's book? It's called Storytellers. That guy's career, you know, being from being in a punk rock band to go into Nirvana, to go into to Foo Fighters has been incredible. And uh, I just thought it was, he, he told great stories in it and it was super interesting. I couldn't, I couldn't put it down. I loved it. I love that. All right. Storytellers. That's a new one. I'm going to look yeah. into that one for sure. I mean, you learn, you learn so much from these backgrounds that you just see what their success was, but you don't know what went underneath it. And I think that that's what's so incredible uh, from it all. The, the last, the last question I always ask, and it comes from, you know, what they do at Barron's conferences and they ask everybody at the panel, every panel, what's one piece of actionable advice that the, the, the audience can take away. And I always love to ask that to my guests. What do you think from our conversation today? What's one piece of actionable advice our listeners should take away from what we talked about today? I think if you're on the fence about whether or not to hire someone that you think can help alleviate some responsibilities from you, that you can download things that you don't particularly like to do, you should not wait. You absolutely should hire the person, assuming they're the right person. That's a big asterisk there. But building a team of incredibly capable people makes your clients lives better and it makes your life better so it's a win-win for everyone i could not recommend that enough love it love it brian carney you're the man and uh really impressed and inspired by what y'all are doing over there at river's edge and i can't wait to continue to follow you and, and see all the success that y'all have and I, I'm happy to help in any way I can. And before I do, I know that a lot of these listeners want to continue to follow you, follow your company, follow everything that y'all are doing. So what's the best way for listeners and anybody to get in touch with you, continue to follow you and learn from you? Go to our website, riversedgeadvisors.com and or feel free to email me or hit me up on LinkedIn. I think my LinkedIn is just Brian J. Carney and my email address is bcarney at riversedgeadvisors.com. Brian Carney, you're the man. Best success. Talk soon. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. 